0: That's my volume. Excellent. All right.
1: Is Thirsty Thursday still a thing?
0: Always, Rico.
2: I hope so because I'm really thirsty.
1: I'm dehydrated from the CrossFit last
2: night. Uh, I'm just rocking some cotton mouth some from some uh bubblegum gelato this morning.
0: Is everyone a moderator who needs to be a moderator? Did I get you all? good morning everybody good morning here we go all right hi and welcome to the state of cannabis news hour where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds we are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a diversity of perspectives and life experiences our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts opinions and a pinch of humor it's Thursday, June 30th, 2022. This is episode number 313. I'm Menica Mahajan, the pot smoking PhD and founder of Mahajan Consulting, filling in for the NewsHour's founder, Susan Soris. The State of Cannabis NewsHour is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis NewsHour members if you want to be an audience participant. If you're listening to the podcast, thank you for checking us out. Help other cannabis lovers find us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving us a review. Today, we are talking about Tilray covering travel costs following the US Supreme Court's recent actions, July 4th sales predictions, psychedelics for military vets, sprouting pr- plants in New York, and many other frosty n- nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour.
3: The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised.
0: Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant or you may get the gong. Shh. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lemit. He keeps his highly calibrated bullshit meter in the stash pocket of his hemp hoodie. Rico asks, asks the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him here every weekday as a co producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Rico, what do you have for us today? All
1: right, so mine is from Ad Week by TL Stanley. July 4th will be lit. The holiday is expected to be cannabis's hottest summer sales day. What to the slave is the 4th of July? Immortal words spoken by the late, great Frederick Douglass, whom Donald J. Trump and 2017 referred to as an example of somebody who's done an amazing job and is being recognized more and more, I notice. Well, the recent U.S. Supreme Court rulings uh, that have been mainstream news hot topic It looks like uh, many black people won't be alone this year in refusing to call the 4th of July their Independence Day. But my story is not about politics, so I'm going to stay on topic. In this article, T.L. Stanley referred to the 4th of July as long a day of protest for cannabis legalization that's transformed recently into a major driver of legal sales. No, it isn't just mainstream. Is it? It isn't as mainstream as 420 or Thanksgiving, but the holidays shown to be a boon over the last few years to the cannabis industry's bottom line. Look out for a flurry of SMS and social media campaigns coming from some of your favorite retail operators and brands, that is, uh, unless they've been shadow banned, detailing discounts and pro, uh, promotions, because if the data reads correct from BDSA, uh, BDSA analytics in Surfside, this 4th of July is gearing up to be the biggest sales day of the summer ever. July is already annually the strongest sales month between May and September, but this year's analysts are predicting double-digit jumps in sales and mark well above average before this year due to long-anticipated return to in-person events. The Friday before uh, July 4th, or tomorrow, Surfside said is the fifth biggest day of sales day of the year up annually averaging a 67% uptick over daily sales through the calendar year, making 4th of July weekend sales in the top five annual earners behind 420 Memorial day, labor day and Halloween. And it might be something brands and retailers should be looking to lean into harder than usual. Um, with the looming recession sure to put a dark cloud over industry revenues for the foreseeable future. Per the article, BDSA co-founder and CEO Roy Bingham called weed a sticky good and somewhat immune to economic fluctuations. And with the American public dealing with such divisive uh, headlines over gun control and Roe v. Wade, there's going to be a boost in demand. People are fucking depressed." The article notes a recent Harris poll done for Leaf, uh revealing 41% of consumers do uh, uh, consume uh, due to re- reduced anxiety, 44% to lessen stress, and 49% to help with sleep. I expect that number to spike even more as folks looked uh, to alternative methods for dealing with social issues, fucking them up mentally, emotionally, financially, and so on. It'll be an interesting holiday weekend indeed, but I guess folks are getting tired of smashing cubes of Bud Light for beer pong and popping off illegal fireworks like everything's normal. Maybe. Either way, look out for a ton of awesome deals from your favorite local operators and help them stay afloat during the the inevitable tough period ahead. It's gonna be a cold summer, y'all. There's Rico Lemaitre, dopest dad on the street for State of Cannabis News Hour. What are your 4th of July weekend plans?
3: Smoking a lot of weed. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna take some time. Um, Did they do any examination into like proximity to 710?
1: They did not, this is by ad week. So, uh, I'm uh, not necessarily a cannabis specific um, um, uh, outlet, but I was very surprised they didn't even mention Oil Day with 710, which is pretty damn big down here. And I know that um, it's, it's pretty big in New York as well. But I don't know. Um, Jason, would you have some insight on that? Like, how is 710 uh, annually a big sales day as well?
0: paging mr rico, you,
4: you, rico rico you're asking me if 710 is as big of a holiday as 420.
1: not necessarily as big as 420 but is 710 another big sales day too i know 420 is always a big uh, sales day but it's is 710 a major um, sales day for retailers also uh
4: 710 is is growing and it depends on how each store markets but nothing is in comparison with
2: 420. I feel like seven ten people don't know as much you know just from what i've seen with like the general mainstream public but i think this was a cool story it was really interesting to you know hear different perspectives on on um On the day, as a lot of people are definitely affected differently by it, Um, and I think that there'll probably be a lot more smoking than there has been in the past, because like just a lot more states are online and I don't know whose families are like mine, but legal is moral so that's okay now, so I think there'll be some more smoking than we think Uh, some definitely some stuff being sparked up that's not fireworks.
1: Let's keep smoking the news. He's the industry's very own Kaiser Brose, also known in Detroit as White Gucci, London, the Booth Free Bloke, and in West Hollywood, Ella Presidente. Known for smoking the greatest weed in the world and identification and eradication of Booth worldwide, President Trump's very favorite (laughs) weed smoker at Mar-a-Lago is here to give us some Thursday news blues. What you got for us today, my man?
4: Actually, Rico, my news, actually today, my my news is a happy story because there's some much needed relief that I feel that is going to come to California cultivators very soon because cannabis trailer bill passes California Assembly 66 to 0 and moves forward to the governor's desk. The California Assembly Wednesday night voted 66 to 0 in favor of AB-195 a trailer bill containing a slew of measures intended to shore up the state's ailing cannabis industry, including freezing the state's excise tax at 15% for three years and suspending the cultivation tax beginning January 1st, 2023 with July 1st, 2022, the actual cutoff date after which cultivators will no longer be assessed the tax under certain circumstances. However, the bill effectively shifts That tax burden from the cultivator to the consumer by directing the state's taxing authority starting with the 2025-26 fiscal year and every two years thereafter to adjust the cannabis excise tax rate by a percentage that will generate an an amount of revenue that would have been collected pursuant to the cultivation tax imposed prior to its discontinuation under this bill, not to exceed 19% of the gross receipt of retail sales. AB 195 also contains breaks <coughs> excuse me, breaks for equity licenses, requires the integration of delivery, delivery transactions into the state's track and trace system, and includes waivers for retailers under certain circumstances while making them responsible for excise tax collection and remittance, and enhances efforts targeting the illicit market, including a civil penalty of up to $10,000 per violation against a person who has management or control of a commercial property or a commercial building, room, space, or enclosure, and knowingly rents leases or makes it available for the unlicensed cultivation, manufacture, storage, sale, or distribution of cannabis. It remains to be seen if AB-195 has the right stuff to fix what's broken in the California market, but the Assembly, in a rare show of bipartisanship, touted the bill as a necessary, if belated, effort to save the legal cannabis industry. This industry, especially those who've been playing by the rules, have been asking for help for years and years, said bill sponsor Philip Ting, Democrat from San Francisco. This, this bill this year, they get it. This bill suspends the state cultivation tax that maintains the excise tax at 15 percent and also moves the collection of that excise tax from distributors to point of sale. It provides additional tax relief in the form of tax credits for high road for, for high road cannabis employers as well as tax credits for cannabis equity operators. It also strengthens worker protections, provides local jurisdictions with more enforcement tools, including the ability to pursue civil penalties against commercial properties that facilitate unlicensed operators and civil penalties related to water pollution, unauthorized water diversion due to unlicensed cannabis cultivation. Vince Fong, Republican from Bakersfield, also spoke in favor of the bill. It is a remarkable day when we can consider a bill that actually decreases taxes. And I commend the assembly budget committee for recognizing this necessary reform. He said, the cannabis market has been in limbo between licensing, uncertainty, decrippling taxation and an irregularity changing regulatory scheme. And this bill will implement incremental and stabilizing changes, changes that are critical to combat the illegal cannabis market providing certainty to programs that are funded from Prop 64 is also crucial. I urge a yay vote. And last but not least, Tom Lackey, Republican from Palmdale also rose to speak. I just want to remind everybody that I'm very thankful for this kind of measure who allows us to take on this illicit market that is raping the land of my district, he said. You ought to see the amount of illegal grows that we have that are stealing water, they're poisoning the land, and this will allow the legal market to take one step closer to defeating those who deserve to be defeated. So thank you very much for your support in this measure. Following this 66-0 to vote, the speaker ordered the bill's immediate transmittal to the governor's desk, where we all anticipate he will sign this. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. 66-0. That's huge
3: yeah but i mean you know there were a lot of compromises i mean bradford really made a solid push at the end there for some additional assistance for social equity you know i mean 71 percent of the social equity money going to rural white california is an unacceptable result and you know there were some efforts to address those that were ultimately rejected by the administration and i think um there's more work to be done on this one for sure
1: Thank you for pointing that out, Laura, Um, especially uh, for for people who are not in California, don't know the breakdown of that. I just saw the 66 to 0 uh, vote, thought it was a a benefit. Do you have any uh, response to that, Jason?
0: I have a question. Um, So, Laura, what happens to SB 1281, the proposal to drop the excise tax to 5%? Is Bradford just going to pull that bill? Is that your understanding
3: yeah that, that's done for now okay. but yeah okay
0: so this is it this is what we get
3: yep you get what you this get year. what you get and you don't get upset as they say but you, you yeah. go, go ahead and get upset in my book <laughs> nice
0: this is this
4: this, this, this is a step my, in the right direction there is much more that needs to be done um from for one for just re- for for removing the arm's length transaction that really makes that 15 percent excise tax 27 percent, and they also need um to 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 stop raising this excise tax, but but ultimately I think we can get there. Um, we just have to make some more positive steps in this direction.
5: Yeah, I agree, Jason, and I think, you know, just the suspension of that cultivation tax is huge. Just I know so many people that are just so crushed by that. So that I think it is positive. I, I, I think like you guys are saying, could be much better, but it's definitely a glimmer and a step in the right direction, like Jason was saying.
4: all right i guess that's everything on that coming up next this beard was born and bred in new york maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence because baby it's cold outside so cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny long beach california where the beard received a law degree known in the bar exam as the brandon beard award for high scores this intellectual ip attorney and ceo of Fruit labs is none other than brandon dorsky let's go brandon what do you have for us today
6: Thanks for having me. My headline comes from Joanna Glasner at CrunchBase News. It's no longer high times for cannabis funding. This article took a sobering look at the decline in investment in the cannabis space thus far in 2022. Only 41 cannabis-related companies globally have raised seed or venture funding, totaling $294 million in capital raise, less than a third of the total funds raised in the first half, of 2021. If current investment trends maintain, this will be the lowest year of total funding since 2017. The reduction in investment activity does not appear to be because consumption is waning, but rather because the numbers don't back up the stock valuations. Public perception of poor stock performance in cannabis, coupled with actual pullback in capital markets, has compounded the investment problem for operators who may otherwise be seeking investment. Layoffs at some big names, including Oregon-based Dutchie, delivery provider Ease, as well as Akerna and Canopy Growth, signal that big names in the market are suffering. Stock shares plummeting to less than 50 percent of their highs for the year at TrueLeave, Curaleaf, and others also portend a bad future. Many other businesses that went public in recent years have fared poorly, including some SPAC or venture-backed businesses seeing more than a 90 percent reduction in their value, which is what happened to Clever Leaves, a greenhouse operator. One breath of fresh air in a forest of limited capital and liquidity is trees. The online e-commerce platform and processing system for many California dispensaries secured one of the bigger rounds of funding this year, closing on a $51 million Series C and the funds related to a fundraising effort that actually began in spring 2021. The market conditions are creating a prime opportunity for better funded and bigger businesses to swallow up struggling rivals and smaller operators that cannot maintain pace with inflation and other rising costs. It is still estimated that only $1 out of every $5 spent on cannabis in the US is in the legal market. And optimistic investors believe investment in cannabis is just tapping into the transition of an already giant marketplace that generates billions of dollars a year. Despite all the signals that cannabis is not necessarily a great place to park investment dollars, people are still excited about certain markets, particularly the northeastern U.S. and certain niche products. I'm still one of those people that is excited about the prospect of new markets and the cannabis industry as a whole. While experience in some states may have jaded me a little, I'm still optimistic that the dramatic improvement people see in their quality of life from incorporating cannabis is undeniable, and that eventually some markets that have not had frequent and robust access to cannabis still have tremendous opportunities for realizing a profit. Let's hope for a more prosperous cannabis market and an increasing appetite for investment for the remainder of 2022 and beyond. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News.
7: Good morning, Uh, this is Dr. Felicia. Um, I'm looking at the graph and that that we took a really big dip in 2020, and I can only assume that that's the pandemic, which uh, contributed to supply chain issues. Um, And now we have inflation, global inflation. Uh, Do you do you all think it's also the taxes mainly that's kept um, companies from being profitable? What what do you all uh, to me? It's like the taxes, inflation and supply chain. it's, it's,
4: it's, It's the federal illegality of cannabis in total because that subjects us to 280E, which takes every single profit after even you think you made a profit out of your business.
6: Yeah, it's, it's 280E. Things that ordinary businesses can deduct because they are a transaction cost of doing business are just disallowed for cannabis businesses. You have employees where you are not even allowed to deduct the cost, not only what you pay the employee, the cost of carrying the employee it is absolutely absurd and ridiculous we need reform on 280e at the federal level that would help cannabis businesses more than anything
4: pass safe banking
5: actually jason since 280e it's such an essential element like you're saying why can't republicans get behind descheduling and just kill all this shit get rid of it it just gets rid of all this it's just
4: descheduling eric
5: what's that Really? There's a, number, there's a number of Republicans it's There's it, a distinct minority of Republicans in the Senate and in the House. There was three Republicans that voted <laughs> for, uh, for, for the Moore Act. Only three in, in the entire House. The Moore, How can the Moore you Act say was a flawed bill. There's there's flaws in every bill, but you get it on the floor and exactly, you hammer exactly. it out. But look,
4: look what safe banking has. Safe banking has wide Safe banking has on both sides of the aisle, and which is why the industry needs to pass safe banking now to show that we have some political astuteness and can work with both sides of the aisle if we want to get something more meaningful done.
5: Right, work with both sides, and there's zero. You know, you, we go back and forth until you know exactly why the Dems won't support safe bank. You know exactly why because there's nothing at all about equity or expungement these are critical foundational things that need to be addressed and they're not and until they are it's nothing gonna happen
4: Happen on a state level equity and expungement need to happen on a state level you're not going to get that in a federal package it can be triggered
5: federally It is realistic and it's essential. I'd like to say
7: that Republicans are never going to get behind cannabis because there are two huge Republican backed industries that need cannabis to be illegal. And that is the big prison industrial complex and big pharma. Cannabis challenges both of those industries. And I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio is one of the worst cities in the country for black women. It's been studied. The worst. And do you know why? Because they use that cannabis illegality to absolutely terrorize black families terrorize them i'm going through it now that's why
1: thank you so much for that comment uh amber i think the most important uh, word you said there um uh jason was uh the most meaningful changes that are needed and i think that's the the, the biggest divide between the right in the left where a lot of people on the right think the most meaningful change needed needed to happen is in banking where people on the left and uh mostly I'd say the majority of folks think change needs to be made with the uh, uh with the view on urban communities uh, the communities that have been affected most by the war on drugs and i think that's the compromise that that's going to happen on a state level Rico. Are yeah, hold on, happened happened on, on, a state hold on, level. Hold on. I think so, that, I think that's what Eric Eric was saying that, that Republicans are not willing to budge on. They're not willing to compromise on that. Where the Democrats have been willing to compromise on safe banking, and they actually the voted. The Democrats well, yeah, have I mean, not wait, been willing wait, to wait,
4: compromise wait. on safe banking. That's totally false. They voted, you had Cory Gardner, they, they had Gardner and others standing on a hill, willing to die on the sword to make sure that safe
1: banking did not pass. Get the fuck out of here.
3: So wait, I have And to, then they put
1: safe banking into the last iteration of the Moore Act. Did they not?
3: Yes, yeah, I believe they did. Yeah. So I, I have to go back and actually read safe banking again because it's been a while. Right. So um, it's my understanding, though, that it doesn't really address the heart of 280 ADE, Right. I mean, so it's it's a totally different issue, Jason. And, you know, as far as I oh, understand, no, no, the, no, no, I, I'm not I'm not trying
4: to oh, say okay. that safe banking, safe banking is going to. Oh, OK, 280E. good. No no, that is not, no, no,
3: no, 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 <laughs> no. OK, that, good. I'm not saying that at all.
4: I'm not 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 saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that as far as the cannabis industry, we need to show a level of political astuteness and pass something that we can actually get past to show other members in Congress that our industry is ready for the big leagues. And until that happens, ain't shit going to happen
3: why don't we just get a carve out for irc 288 i mean that sounds because like an easier you can't ask. get a
4: carve out for irc 280e without a federal excise tax because the congressional budget office is going to say oh well we're taking all this money out of out of government and we don't have any replacement filler for it so any any bill that would have that would have a ne- such a negative score on a cbo score that it would never pass the muster to pass the House
3: or the Senate. Yeah, I can I can see like, that, cat, but that's cat. just about addiction to cash, right? I mean, which is one of the issues we talk about regularly. Sorry, I'm done speaking.
6: At this point, the federal government plans on realizing gains from applying 280E to cannabis businesses. It's, they they rely on it.
3: Yeah, yeah, I know that. I mean, they have special task forces and education systems specifically set up because of the cost-benefit analysis and going after cannabis businesses under that section code. But it's up to the lawmakers to help represent us in changing those rules. So that's my question.
4: I don't understand the question, Laura, I'm sorry.
3: No, you basically, I mean, you basically shot back a good answer and a good response to it with, with regard to the CBO score and that I can identify with.
4: Jason, did you have something for us?
2: Jason, you're on mute. Hey, Jason. Jason.
4: Come on, Pitkin.
2: Clubhouse is being glitchy. I had a hard time bringing him up on stage, but we'd love to hear what you have to say, Jason.
4: Oh, I
8: found the mute button. I found the mute button. There we go. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I just want to remind everybody it was Barack Obama and Joe Biden that held on to power for eight years and did nothing. And now Joe Biden... Ha- and Kamala Harris have the powers, and they're going to want to get elected again. And if they do nothing, you should not vote for them. Now, finally, they rescheduled Vicodin without an act of Congress. Cannabis can be rescheduled at any time while the Democrats are in control. So, you know, we got a lot of freedom-loving Republicans that are ready to join this fight and have been joining this fight. When it comes to rescheduling. It only has to do with the Democrats, period.
0: Did we oh. miss four years in there where someone oh, yeah. else had control and could have done something?
3: <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely not true. But I uh, like Jay, the perspective. To, to you know, Jay's the fact point,
0: is... Hold on, hold on.
8: Hold the safe banking, to Jason's point, is the only thing that has bipartisan point support. So get it passed and go, oh, yeah, we all agree on this. And then we can do everything else. It's baby steps. Look what happened with 215 and, and now 64. I mean, it's it's baby steps with this stuff.
1: I mean Jason Jason, uh, my quick response to that is look at the history of these incremental laws that that support Republican views and all that stuff. They will settle on that and they won't they will not give a fuck about social equity in any form or fashion. like nothing else will get passed. Safe banking will get passed the the, the 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 top companies will will flourish and the small ones. We'll just fizzle away. One hundred percent, Rico. Takeover. That's
5: one hundred percent. You give away that, that leverage. Not, that's not, hey, that's man, I'm speaking. Give away. It's not. It's called history. It ain't fear, mongering That's what we've seen for a hundred years. And by the way, Jason, this shit was built by Republicans, and Trump didn't do shit. So don't be putting this on the Democrats, man. They want. They want we could get to scheduling tomorrow if the republicans would jump trump was board.
4: actually calling to, pe- to for, for um for safe banking yeah well he'll,
5: he'll his be desk. his ass in jail trump soon, was so he's calling maybe for he can safe help from inside to the to joint. <laughs> he's, he's not going to jail that january's committee is help. a joke come on
8: <laughs> well i will agree with you on on you know that reform did not happen under trump but he was only there for four years where barack obama promised this for eight years and so did John, joe biden and joe biden and the drug warrior kamala harris campaigned on this and they have done nothing zero
4: nothing that is true facts right there jason both
5: of those kamala harris delivered the more act I'm kamala Harris, harris. co-sponsored the more act so i get we know where she's coming from
4: both of those two both of those uh, all three of those candidates kamala harris or vice president harris President Biden and President Obama all campaigned to legalize cannabis in some can- and social media. Joe Biden did of not. He did not campaign
5: on legalizing weed. Nothing, nothing, he said, no- "Yes, he did." Bullshit, man. Of his campaign, he mentioned de- he, he mentioned decriminalizing oh in one I'm offhand remark. He I'm ain't I'm no weed war. We you. all know that. Oh my God, you
4: need a history lesson, Eric.
5: Dude, you do. You're backwards of the on
4: legalization.
8: The platform of the Democrat Party is legalization, and he is the head of the Democrat Party, so why doesn't he do The it? Democrats, There's have
5: no you read the, the Moore Act? That is what that is. the Democrats. That's what they've been doing, but Republicans won't give it because they are so dead set against anything for Urban communities doing the doing expungement, which is so critical for many people. Don't you get? There's been a war on drugs for a hundred years, where, all, where a lot of us have had our relatives and friends in jail for this shit. We want them out. You realize
3: that the president doesn't actually make the laws, right? I mean, they have certain executive powers, but when it
8: comes, de- the laws. Know,
3: anyway. You guys, I I love this topic. I think we could totally get a room on this, but we have a ton of speakers I, I think we yes. should get to. Um, I really do. I love this conversation. I'm wondering if we should get an extra room or, I don't know, I'll leave it to the mods to say if let's keep this up. But I don't think, I think no. we can at this point <laughs> we're <gonna> kind of <laughs> ro- agree to disagree. Now, <laughs> oh, time. sorry. Yeah, it's about time for
2: that
0: relay. I, I think. It, let's do our relay. I,
1: I think so. That's ma- 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 right. safe. time for that. Re-light.
0: Come on, everyone! All
9: right,
0: grab... ding, 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 Fuck ding! ding, ding. All right, grab your lighters, grab your bongs, grab your consenting adult partner, and let's relight this room.
1: You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose the opinions expressed in the State Campus News are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State Campus, or its members. The statements made in the State Campus News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State Campus and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country area, or territory, or any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State Campus News Hour do not imply or constitute any burden by the State Campus or the expression of
9: any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State Campus or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised.
0: Let's smoke some more news. Smokey, we will.
1: This fifth-generation Californio is an award-winning journalist, brand-building content ninja, and a freedom-fighting farmer's friend. He's never afraid to clap back at provocative, short-sighted conservative comments with hard-hitting truths that they don't want to hear. Up next, Eric His Laredo. What you got today, mi hermano?
5: Hey, mano. Um thanks, everybody for having me up today. Uh, my headline is from High Times, and it's Veterans Affairs Researchers embrace psychedelics for the military for military vets. So here's something really positive. According to the New York Times, the last time that Veterans Affairs explored psychedelics as a medical treatment was in 1963. This was around the same time that the Central Intelligence Agency, and the U.S. Army was testing LSD as a way to mind control enemies. Many decades later, these four researchers are bridging the gap between veteran mental health and psychedelic assisted therapy. These studies are being conducted by VA clinicians and the results could lead the way to more studies in the future. Dr. Shannon Remnick is conducting a study with 10 veterans in a VA clinic in Loma Linda, California. She became one of the first doctors since the 1960s to be allowed to use psychedelics as a treatment in that clinic, which is overseeing the progress of combat veterans suffering from PTSD. Each volunteer will experience three sessions using MDMA as a way to explore their condition and begin each session with calming activities such as breathing exercises and poem readings. Sessions are led by the patient but assisted through the process with the help of a therapist who mainly listens rather than directs quoting, we are alongside and with the patient as they're exploring a kind of excavation site, Dr. Remick says. Ultimately, it's not for us to point and say, hey, look at that, because what I'm seeing may not be the same from their angle. Dr. Rachel Yehuda actually delayed her retirement to dedicate herself to psychedelic assisted therapy. She sought out permission to help PTSD sufferers with MDMA and began the study earlier this year in January. Her studies examining the effects of MDMA on PTSD patients specifically determine whether two or three sessions are more beneficial overall. Yehuda herself uh, participated in the MDA trip in 2019 for therapist training. It made me really understand what it is you're supposed to be doing in psychotherapy, Dr. Yehuda said. I've never quite understood what it means to have a breakthrough. She also noted the importance of doing such a process with the right therapist. Dr. Leslie Moreland has over two decades worth of experience with PTSD therapies and is also exploring how MDMA could help veterans after they return home from duty, specifically as a way to make couples therapy more successful. Her clinical study is expected to begin at the end of 2022 and will study eight participants and their respective partners in San Diego. A lot of our military learned to emotionally disconnect in order to be effective in combat, Dr. Moreland said. And then we're bringing them back and saying, now we need you to open up and, and and with our talk therapy. With the help of MDMA, Moreland hopes to see an increase in bonding and empathy in her patients. How do they work together to really sustain the improvements that they have achieved in therapy? Finally, Dr. Christopher Stauffer has previously explored the effectiveness of psilocybin as a way to combat substance abuse. One of his studies will review how psilocybin can assist 30 veterans who are addicted to methamphetamine. Half of them will receive conventional therapy with two psilocybin therapies, and the other half will only receive conventional therapy. Another study led by Stoffer will will review how MDMA can help group therapy sessions for veterans. MDMA is brand new to a lot of people, and yet it's been around longer than most of our psychiatric uh, psychiatric medications have been around, Dr. Stoffer said. But it feels like we're approaching it this time with a lot more knowledge and a lot more rigorous research practices that didn't really exist back in the 50s and 60s. I just want to say how important this is. It's like we're coming full circle from the battle uh, days that started with the Nixon era culture wars. It's so great these important compounds are now be taken seriously so they can bring relief to our deserving veterans. And that's what I've got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis Hour. Gracias for having me up.
7: Uh, great story, Eric. I, I, I'm encouraged and I still say, I think psychedelics are gonna be uh, legal before cannabis. I what, what, is, what
3: oh, sorry go, ahead,
4: go ahead. define legal
7: descheduled de- descheduled um easier to research um easier access you think
4: psychedelics are going to be descheduled before cannabis is descheduled yes get the fuck out of here
1: I will, Never. I will bet you, no I mean, the way it's I look no. at you, 17 pre-rolled blunts. Psychedelics will be classified blunts.
4: as a Schedule Two drug, and they will be only available uh, through, like, triplicate form from a doctor with a DEA license.
1: They don't carry the social baggage of cannabis.
3: Yeah, no, why, I'm
10: uh, going uh, to, why are you going to bet 17 pre-rolled blunts? <laughs> I, I mean know. that's a pretty specific number, oh, it's specific. <laughs> but yeah, I but I, I think so too. The I mean, that came to mind. because <laughs> well, 18 is too much, <laughs> and, and 16 is too little. But I mean they're they're doing the research. They're they they started out with the research. They've they've developed a very consistent delivery mechanism by growing uh, the psychedelics on you know on the E. coli medium. So they're going to have they're they're going to have one. Uh, one compound that they can bring forth to the FDA for FDA review. And the FDA loves that. FDA hates whole flour because they don't know what to do with, you know, 88 uh, phytonutrients in a plant. I mean, what, what is the, the thing that is causing the reaction in the patient? But uh, psilocybin, MDMA, much easier to study. They'll definitely go before cannabis.
3: Great point, doctor. Mm-hmm. Very good point. I was, I was wondering what the doctors um, think about the size of the studies and the significance of the limited number.
10: You know, I don't think we're ever going to get these uh, big randomized controlled trials like we've seen with, uh, with other pharmaceuticals. And to some degree, degree, <laughs> to some degree we're relying on, uh, you know, just the, the long history of these medications to assure their safety. Rather than large Ooh. trials.
4: Ooh, I popped a molly and I'm sweating. But that was a great conversation for all of that, you guys. Uh, this, but coming up next, this pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all-around data cruncher that's known a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, a brand strategist, a healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's none other Then
2: Liz Rogan. Well, thank you so much for that amazing intro, Jason. And greetings, everyone. Happy Thursday. Thank you for joining us today. My story comes from ABC News by Michael Hill of the Associated Press. The headline reads, New York's first legal marijuana crop sprouts under the sun. We'll be changing marijuana to cannabis in the rest of this story. So this story comes out of Clifton Park, New York, where the article says, quote, New York's recreational cannabis market is beginning to sprout, literally, end quote. So New York tried a unique approach and gave 203 hemp growers first chance to cultivate cannabis. Big grows will likely come in later as they look forward to the start of sales, which could start by the end of the year. These are conditional cultivator licenses, and these holders, these guys can um, grow up to an acre outdoors. They can grow all of some of their crop in greenhouses in smaller areas and use limited lighting. And the license is good for two years. Holders will be able to distribute cannabis flower products to retail dispensaries. So cultivator Prank Polizio of Homestead Farms and Ranch. He has a half acre plot. He also farms beef and chicken and he added cannabis into the mix, well, hemp. He sees it as an opportunity which already has a demand saying, quote, hopefully it benefits the farmers. Been a long time since there's a real cash crop, end quote. I really hope that works out for you, uh, Frank. New York's decision to give a head start to hemp growers is unusual as typically other states have relied initially on their existing medical growers. This might be a potential lifeline for farmers who grew hemp for CBD as they are seeing a dramatic slump in prices. So Pope sorry, sees it as his next logical step. The inclusion of smaller farmers also helps the state meet its mandate to create the economic and demographically diverse cannabis industry that they like. Uh, Chris Alexander, the executive director of the state's Office of Cannabis Management said, quote, there's a market we're building for small players, big players, medium sized players, family businesses, big corporations as well, end quote. We see that. I think the first wave of of cultivators this year are projected to produce uh, about a couple thousand pounds of product. New York itself uh, is estimated to need over well over a million pounds of product annually. So this would be just a fraction of the projected demand. But state regulators are saying this plan is uh, set to balance supply and demand and expand cultivation as more dispensaries open. So Alexander says we do think it will be sufficient to provide that initial supply to our dispensary locations. Alan Gandelman, who's the president of the New York cannabis growers and processors association said quote statewide the majority of cannabis grown outdoors and in greenhouses is expected to be processed for flowers like edibles and vapes and the rest is sold as smokeable flower the inclusion of um, smaller farms also helps the market grow um, also sorry brings in um, it's these outdoor plants. It makes it, uh, sorry, cannabis-grown outdoors, they say, can have lower THC than some plants grown indoors, though we do know that can vary, especially by the cultivator, but this may make it less desirable to some consumers, and so there, this uh, grower, Mokatoff of Claverack Creek Farm in Hudson Valley, says talks about sun-grown cannabis and says that a lot of aficionados just like the way it is a lot better, and that it requires a lot less energy than any energy-hungry indoor grows. And this would ultimately translate into lower prices. A big challenge that these growers face is um, thievery in addition to pests and bad weather. So they have motion detectors and electric fences, and they're sleeping in the field. Um, So this uh, turbo boost in production also is expected to come from indoor growers, particularly companies that already are, are producing there. Um, so major players that are poised to take advantage of this are Green Thumb Industries. They're building a growing and manufacturing facility that's uh, gonna cover more than 4.5 acres at the site of a former prison, uh, north of New York City. And it's a Warwick facility. It's expected to be open next year and they'll have a wide array of Green Thumb products. They're in already in 15 states, Green Thumb is, and a medical cannabis company in New York. so. These uh, New Yorkers have been watching the industry flourish um, and have high expectations for this market so I wonder if there's going to be enough supply and what do you guys think this is Liz rogan am reporting for the state of cannabis news hour.
7: I was wondering if anyone on the stage or in the audience has actually seen um, the hemp being grown in New York, given this climate, how does it compare to like Kentucky or Georgia.
4: Um, I, I'm anticipating that there's gonna be a great freeze across the East Coast, and all of this boo ass outdoor weed that's getting grown in New York is all just gonna get freeze-dried.
2: Well, the other thing that could happen is with climate change. I mean, seriously, like a heat wave, like that could really decimate a lot of people. But they do have a lot more water than we do, at least out here. Yeah,
3: I was gonna say, they at least have the water.
2: The other thing is it's interesting, um, I was thinking back to that story of that guy who uh, wrote that book called Pressure, who, like, supposedly said he knew the East Coast cannabis industry better than anyone and pulled out his gold bars out of the woods. And I'm like, where's that guy in this? Is he bumming? He can't grease, you know? And it's just kind of interesting with the hemp people. It seems like they're getting so much given to them with being able to self distribute and manufacture. How are all
4: these hemp people going to be determined between their cannabis and their hemp? Because it's all the same goddamn plant.
2: Yeah, I think test results only on that. But it'll definitely be interesting. I think it sounds like if there's going to be a limited supply, like trappers head to New York or New York. Oh, a good place to go right now. Yeah, <laughs> be all all of the time. trappers
4: are already headed out to New York because you can just open up a bodega and just sell weed out of there for a fraction of the cost of getting a license or just even open up a food truck and parking on 45th and whatever the fuck.
2: Trapping it up in the Big Apple. Let's keep smoking they, the news. They call, it, they call it the
4: trapple,
1: Liz. The it's trapple. trapple.
2: What else we got on this? Uh, what else? Like the nuggets we have here?
1: <laughs> She's a badass Bay Area cannabis mom with the voice of a speakeasy jazz angel, kind of like Nora Jones with the joint in her hand, maybe in her mouth. The co-founder of this International Cannabis Bar Association, chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, and founder of the San Fran Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project is here to hit us with a little bit of that Thursday blues. Laura DeCaro, what you got for us today? Hey,
3: hey, hey. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Rico. Uh, sorry, folks, I'm outside, so I apologize if there's any background noise. Um, tried to keep it to a minimum. Uh, my story today is actually mm, slightly ancillary to the cannabis industry, but it's about uh, cannabis producer Tilray will cover travel costs for reproductive care in the United States. It was published by Matt Lammers, who's the international editor for MJ Biz. Um, Apparently, New York headquartered cannabis producer Tilray Brands said that it will cover travel and accommodation expenses and provide paid time off for its U.S.-based employees who need to travel out of state for reproductive health care. The cannabis and alcohol producer made the announcement after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and Casey, giving state's authority to ban abortions. Tilray appears to be the first major licensed cannabis company to announce that policy um, but it must be noted that it comes on the heels of companies like Amazon, Apple, Citigroup, Levi Strauss, and J.P. Morgan Chase uh, that are making similar commitments. There's an interesting way for them to dip their toe into U.S. politics. I think it demonstrated a significant uh, understanding of healthcare, deeper commitment to healthcare than maybe they have a reputation for, for instituting. Uh, And one of the quotes in the article was a a tweet actually from Erwin Simon, who's the CEO. He he writes, considering the recent U.S. Supreme Court's ruling, we are updating our healthcare benefits for all Tilray U.S. employees to include transportation expenses for employees and their covered family members to receive access to the reproductive care they need and choose. Um, Transportation for their Canadian employees apparently isn't gonna be covered most likely, but um, apparently they have access to closer facilities. So, you know, this joins a number of other companies who are creating workarounds for employees in states with re- restrictive healthcare access laws um, and the, the restrictions which are most ter- seriously affecting those already suffering from inadequate access to healthcare such as low income individuals, black, Latina and Asian patients, LGBTQIA plus individuals and more. Um, it's interesting because as an attorney, um, and I'm sure Brandon has some thoughts on this, You know, the pace at the, which these new state laws restricting or abolishing women's rights to make decisions with their doctors are going into effect, and the patchwork of the different rules mean that legal counsel for all these companies are really gonna need to keep up on these laws to limit the exposure to litigation, bans on conducting business in that state, which Texas has threatened, or even criminal penalties. So while this isn't necessarily a cannabis story, it was related to something that's happening in the cannabis industry, and it'll be interesting to me to see if other cannabis brands kind of follow on as their commitment to access to health care as a human right is put to the test in the court of public opinion my name is laura de reporting for the state of cannabis news hour and i i don't know if anybody has any thoughts on this
6: <laughs> thanks so much for sharing this Laura, and i mean great move by truly but to bring it full circle with the earlier article this money that they're uh you know, publicizing they're going to spend um, and they should rightfully spend is not going to be deductible under 280E. So it, it could become problematic for cannabis businesses to uh, make these types of commitments, although I think they should be. And in order to attract the right talent in a competitive market, it's something that businesses need to consider whether it's deductible to them or not.
1: Brandy, isn't, isn't it, isn't, Tilray, doesn't, doesn't Tilray is, get is it away Tilray from that Canadian because it's publicly traded and not based in the U.S.?
3: No, it's based in New York. It's a, a U.S. company. A but aren't they trade.
4: traded on the on the Canadian stock exchange?
3: Yes. Doesn't yeah, mean their
4: American
6: yes. business operations are not subject to American taxes.
7: i think it's a a good gesture it's great pr i just don't know how sustainable it is in light of brandon's article about cannabis companies having to cut back uh, it might be more efficient to fund some pro-life um uh, i'm sorry some pro-choice um legislation
3: <laughs> yeah right that's that's true too but you know i think that i don't know how Tilray is organized uh, as a company but they also have an alcohol arm it, it may be that they can offset some of this because of the just the sheer size i i don't think i think brandon's right i don't think this is a tenable approach for a lot of smaller companies but because of their sheer size um i, I do think they might be able to suffer those those costs
9: most of these big most of these big mso's have um holding companies or payroll company or sorry employment companies set up so that they can have um, non-plant touching employees um, into a different tax bracket so that they, do ha- they don't they do have 280E that applies to them. So what I'm guessing is these are either uh, s- someone that is non-plant touching or they can transfer them to a non-plant touching um, role during the time that they're going to transfer them out of state for their whatever medical pro- procedures they're having. Um, but there's definitely ways of getting around 280E for specific employees.
1: Thank you for saying that, Nick. I was I was gonna I was gonna say something similar. Yeah, they're gonna get real creative with their accounting practices. Get this well, that's done. good
9: to know.
1: Let's keep smoking and, the news. And,
9: hold on, and that's actually how certain large companies were able to get PPP loans during COVID because they have a large majority of their staffing into these alternate companies. So um, it, there there's some shadiness going on in the industry. We all know that.
4: You think there's some shadiness going on in the industry, Nick?
1: There's always shadiness when you're not using sunlight to grow your cannabis, Jason.
3: Uh, oh, yeah. Well, oh, for, no oh, one
1: should yeah. use sunlight. No oh. sunlight to grow their cannabis
4: because at that point, they're just growing firewood. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless.
5: Yeah, 28 million
2: years still
5: going strong, brother.
4: Yeah, that shit's boof, Eric, and you know yeah, it. Yeah, but nonetheless, you know he's a blunt... He's a plump, blowing, Fresno-based... What's that?
2: Growing
4: fire. You're only growing fire if you're growing indoors. He's a plump, blowing, Fresno-based man of the people representing the black conservative voice whose existence Joe Biden would love to strip from him and and give you a whole nother hood pass for even acknowledging. Here to change the narrative, it's none other than the governor himself, Nicholas Wildstar.
11: Appreciated, JB. What it do, state of cannabis crew? My story for y'all today is straight out of the PA, where legislation that would protect Pennsylvania's more than seven hundred thousand medical marijuana patients from wrongful DUI convictions advanced out of the Senate, uh, out of the Senate Transportation Committee on Tuesday by thirteen to zero vote. The bill would treat medical cannabis like any other prescription narcotic and it would also require proof of impairment that interferes with the person's ability to safely operate a motor vehicle for them to be charged with driving under the influence. Pennsylvania is one of 12 states that have a zero tolerance law for certain drugs, including THC. Republican Senator Camara Bartolotta The bill's co-sponsor said Pennsylvania's zero-tolerance DUI law currently creates the possibility for medical cannabis patients to be arrested, prosecuted, and convicted for taking their medicine while driving, even if they're not impaired. She called it the most serious issue facing the state's medical cannabis patients. Senate Bill 167 is critically needed to protect the medical cannabis community as the penalties for a controlled substance significantly escalate, she told the committee lota said when the medical marijuana law passed in 2016, it provided protections for employees, professional license holders, and those involved in custody litigation, but did not address the issue that has led to wrongful criminal convictions for cannabis-related DUIs. Danique Weber of Harrisburg is among those who found herself charged with a first-time DUI offense because she showed her medical marijuana I.D. card to an officer following a, v- a one vehicle crash last year. The 35 year old mother of six who spoke out about her situation says she did not have any cannabis in the car with her and was not impaired at the time of the crash that she blamed on faulty tires that caused the car to veer into a guardrail. Regardless, weber said once they realized i was a medical marijuana medical marijuana patient it didn't matter weber who owns a cleaning service business said the protection this uh legislation would provide is critically needed every person that goes to a dispensary to buy and go home is at risk weber said i'm just one and i really would like to help and hope this bill gets passed because we are not protected At the September hearing, representatives from the Pennsylvania State Police stated they didn't see this proposed change in law as having a negative impact on highway safety, especially since the legislation doesn't allow for medical cannabis patients to use their status as a legal consumer of this medication as an excuse for driving impaired in a DUI case. Bartolotta made it clear to the committee that her bill does not give patients a free pass to drive while impaired by medical cannabis. The impaired motorist or patient shall, if convicted, suffer the most serious consequences under R.D.Y. laws. If it becomes laws, or if it becomes law, a committee staffer said the measure would not be. Retro, retroactively applied to those medical marijuana patients who have been convicted of DUI despite not being impaired. This is Nick Wildstar, aka the Governor, reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour. Speak now or forever hold your peace.
7: Well done, Pennsylvania. Well done. Thank you, Governor, for bringing this story to us. The, the issue should be are you impaired or not? That's all it should be. It doesn't matter you know what medications you're taking. If you're a medical cannabis patient, if you're not impaired, you should walk.
2: This was uh,
1: this was a great article, actually, especially with all these lounges coming into everybody's state, different different uh, laws coming in. DUI is definitely something that should be looked at. I thought before lounges because it's an easy way to get set up when you leave a lounge a little baked and you have one of those pig patrols right across the street and real quick vegas lounges suck just to let everybody know i didn't get to say that yesterday yeah gerardo we missed you yesterday brother Bro, I was so trying to get in there, but I know uh, Buzz Buzz was talking, but yeah, these lounges is some bullshit. We have independent lounges we can start. It just takes 10 friends with $500 for rent, and we ain't even got to do none of this political stuff. But again, the DUI thing is very, very important, I think. Let's keep it moving because we do have to close it out now, and we want to get to our last correspondent. This attorney at law focuses on the nexus point between cannabis entertainment and psychedelics while providing excellent documentation of said exploits on social media and her appropriately titled podcast, Shall We Talk, at the same damn time. Bringing us home today, hopefully with a smoother landing than the mollies that I grabbed last summer from Trinidad James, it's Shalina Panu, what you have for us.
12: Thank you so much, Rico. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Wiz Khalifa partners with Red Light Holland to launch psychedelics and mushroom brand Mr. Cap. As reported by Yahoo Finance, Wiz Khalifa is partnering with Red Light Holland Corp and will be launching a new psychedelics and mushrooms wellness brand called Mr. Cap. According to their website, Red Light Holland's business revolves around the production, growth, and sale through existing smart shop operators and advanced e-commerce platform of a premium brand of magic truffles to the legal record. Recreational market within the Netherlands in accordance with the highest standards and in a compliance with all applicable laws. Red Light Holland is a strategically based in the Netherlands, an area with a long-standing established legal magic truffles market. Their website further states that Red Light Holland's management advisory members are comprised of a core group of highly skilled individuals with a wealth of combined knowledge and experience relating to growing, mass producing, compliance, distributing, marketing, and managing, necessary to help fix Red Light Holland as a leader in this early stage emerging field. CEO and director of Red Light Holland, Todd Shapiro, states to Yahoo Finance, we've been working with Wiz Khalifa and his team to collaborate and create a brand that encompasses our joint belief for the affordable and equitable access to naturally occurring psilocybin responsibly. We are very excited to partner with Wiz to launch Mr. Cap Magic Truffles in the Netherlands. Together, we will monitor future potential markets if and when regulations legally permit to expand the availability of the Mr. Cap psychedelic products lineup. Additionally, we are excited to launch Mr. Crap, Mr. Cap Home Grow Natural Mushroom Kits in the United States, Europe, and Canada by the end of fiscal 2022, and we will continue to work towards producing additional functional mushroom products jointly under the Mr. Crap, Mr. Cap brand. Shapiro goes on to state, "Wiz Khalifa is a global icon with tremendous reach who is uniquely positioned to help us spread the message and end the stigma." while focusing on mental health and wellness. Wiz, a serial entrepreneur with the proven ability to create powerful brands combined with Red Light Holland's farming production packaging and distribution experience and capabilities, and our ability to reach global markets is an extremely powerful and exciting combination. When we launch the Mr. Cap products, including the Mr. Cap website, social media channels, and merch, we plan on launching big time. So stay tuned because Wiz Khalifa um, and Red Light Holland uh, together, are not afraid of shaking things up and making so making some much needed helpful noise. Together, we are demonstrating that mushrooms are important, the future, and can be very sexy," said Shapiro. Launching Mr. Cap Magic Troubles in the Netherlands and creating other Mr. Cap natu- uh, natural mushroom products and ha- and home grow kits is going to be dope. We are building something special and are excited to grow within the industry," added Wiz Khalifa. Uh, Brad J. Lamb, chairman of the board of directors of Red Light states, we are very excited to join forces with Wiz Khalifa. Genuine brand recognition and celebrity social media reach will help Red Light Holland gain global awareness for recreational psilocybin, as well as look forward to being a part of a positive change in ending stigmas. Red Light will also continue to focus on increasing revenues with many different kinds of mushrooms from farming distribution to consumer packaged goods, creating a well-positioned company with a continued constant and clever growth strategy. Yahoo! Who finance dates with Khalifa will utilize his social media platforms, which has 38.1 million, uh, 1.1 million followers on Instagram. Um, to showcase the Mr. Cap brand. Another public figure behind this company is comedian Russell Peters, who is their chief creative officer. According to New Files Corp last month, Russell carefully used Red Light Holland's premium psilocybin truffles and was guided by Red Light Holland's therapist and expert psychedelic guide, Jeff Hamburg. Thereafter, Russell and Todd Shapiro sat down for a special Q and A to discuss his psychedelic journey with a live audience. More detail on Wiz Khalifa's Mr. Cap regarding their team products and what their vision is will come in the next few weeks. My name is Shalina and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis Hour.
1: Yeah, just in time. let close us out, Manica. Let's go.
0: Thank you. That was a great show, everyone. If you missed any of it, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all the correspondents that spend their free time combing through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and to our link master, Zsa, Zsa Simone. Thank you audience for being an important part of our show. You've had your daily dose. Now go out there and make a difference and have a wonderful long weekend.
1: You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour. Where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Your Daily Dose. Bye. Freedom isn't free. It's a hefty fucking fee. <laughs> That's
4: definitely true. Freedom ain't free. Bowl red.
2: Have a great have a great long weekend everybody <laughs> stay safe we'll see you next week